Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Christian folk group Sixpence None the Richer had an unexpected mainstream explosion with their song Kiss Me after it was featured in the 90s teen film She's All That. Beyond a few low-charting cover songs, however, they quickly fell out of the public consciousness. This week, we're joined by Russ Burlingame, author of the new book, Best Movie Ever, The Oral History of Elfont and Kaplan's Josie and the Pussycats, to discuss the band whose music will always be associated with Rachel Lee Cook. So we are here today to talk about Sixpence, None the Richer, which everyone knows by their song, Kiss Me. Sixpence, None the Richer is definitely a pretty intense band name. But I looked at the meaning. It's it's easy. It's from the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis about a little boy asking his father if he can get a sixpence, which is a very small amount of English currency that was in use at the time, to go and get a gift for his father, which the father gladly accepts the gift and he's really happy with it, but he also realizes that he's not any richer for the transaction. So, in essence, C.S. Lewis was comparing that to his belief that God has given him and us the gifts that we possess and to serve him the way we should, we should do it humbly humbly 
realizing how we got the gifts in the first place. Of course, we all know the old story of, <laughs> of, of the father and the sixpence. But in, in case you're wondering, that's the very convoluted way they got their name. Hi, Russ. You chose sixpence, none the richer. Kiss me. Are you a big sixpence fan? No, I actually, uh, this is the first time I've <laughs> dove into their, their discography at all beyond like the, the four or five songs that everybody knows. I wrote a book last year about the it's an oral history of the 2001 Josie and the Pussycats movie and right. so when right. I needed something it became like well Kiss Me is a one hit wonder and it has ties to Rachel Lee Cook and so it, it, it makes exactly. sense in my head every guy of that era wishes they had ties to Rachel Lee Cook isn't that right? <laughs> and also, I think you're being very generous by assuming that we all know four or five songs by Sixpence None the Richer. To be fair, we know one song by Sixpence None the Richer and two covers that they put okay. out that did okay. <laughs> and a couple of things where you're like, oh, that was those people. Right. So the tie to Rachel Lee Cook, of course, is... From She's All That. This song was in She's All That, correct? This was like the marketing campaign for She's All That. And then yeah. like recently sampled and covered for He's All That. Oh, wow. Okay. One of the facts that I read that kind of blew my mind was that the song is actually so synonymous with the movie that the Italian release of She's All That was named Kiss Me. I've actually never seen She's All That, but I can assume that it's just nobody realized that Rachel Lee Cook was super hot because she was wearing glasses. Is that... What I'm yeah, that's that's pretty much the joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's the prototypical example of that phenomenon that everybody brings up when they make fun of it. It was was it self aware of that? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't meta at all. Okay, sixpence, none the richer. So they're a Christian band. So Matt, tell us all about them. So I was telling Chris before we hit record, like I was never a big sixpence on the richer fan. I didn't really own any of their albums, but. Matt Kelly circa 1997 was exclusively listening to Christian music. Never got into Sixpence None the Richer that much as a band at that time because I was really into the tooth and nail stuff that was like the punk and, and hardcore stuff. And they were just, you know, a girl vocalist with some acoustic guitars. It wasn't really like what I was digging into at that time. But kind of in the same way of when like Reliant K had a hit or Switchfoot or any any time that you've got a Christian band that is suddenly fairly popular in the mainstream, it's a big deal. But I feel like this was one of the first like really big deals. Like previously it was like, you know, that Jars of Clay had a song that did okay on alternative radio or like DC Talk had a song that was like in the top 100 of Billboard. But this was a Christian band getting to number two on the Billboard charts just below TLC and being featured in what was arguably the hottest teen flick of that summer. So it was like, holy crap, we've did it. We, we've broken into the mainstream. So it was a big deal. We were very excited. We were very excited. Lonely Virgins at that point. They kind of, it kind of sucks because they weren't on a Tooth & Nail Records label. They were on this label called Squint Entertainment, which... Christian or not, Squint is just a bad name for a record label out the gate. Squint had like one other band that did a little bit of a crossover with Chevelle. Chevelle did pretty okay on like rock radio. And then they had like the ska band, The Insiders, and actually a very good rap group from LA called the LA Symphony. But they really didn't have any big records. They weren't like Tooth and Nail with MXPX or Goatee Records with Reliant K, where there was this like reliable 
money resource. So by the time that six pence blew up, they were already kind of in the middle of their bankruptcy. And I think that that was the biggest thing that stalled out six pence. None of Richard's career is that this song came out in 1997 and their follow-up album due to all the record label issues didn't come out until 2002, which is five years is a long time when your only follow-up is a cover of a song that everybody already knew from other versions. <laughs> Yeah. The band seems like they're sweet people at the very least. One of the main things I look for in a band, sweet people. It's funny though, because I started listening to the show. Like when, when you guys asked me to be on, I had actually subscribed, but never listened because it sounded like a cool idea. (laughs) Um, The guy who was really big in Canada, like the second episode or something, you guys just kept saying, but he seems like such a nice guy. Tom Cochran. Cochran, yes. Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. (laughs) Hey, this song, I mean, for being a Christian song, this is a little bit... Is is this pushing it? Kiss me? This was that's <laughs> I can tell you this was controversial wow. in the Christian music world. There was a lot of people who weren't happy that a Christian band was encouraging people to kiss. Wow. Um, Premarital so. kissing. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is that really a thing? That was legit. People were not happy with that. Oh yeah, around this time I was a counselor at a Christian summer camp and I remember similar <laughs> like... conversations. But of course, that particular sect of Christianity also didn't believe in using instruments. So, it was all a cappella. I mean, if a Christian band really wanted to push the limits, they should have <laughs> should have made a song called Fuck Me. That would have been <laughs> such an awesome been such an awesome Christian song. <laughs> we're talking about like you know, we did the episode on Striper yeah. and it was like people got pissed at the like kicking the devil's ass since 1983 yeah. T-shirt, which that's a great shirt. Yeah. Like I want they got mad at to hell with the devil. Like they were mad at the word hell being in a Christian song. Right. Well, anyway. Yeah. This song. What do you feel about this song in general? <laughs> I think that this song like I've never really thought much about this song beyond like, oh, it's a it's a fun little like ballady and that's kind of still where i land i i did do like the 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 footwork here of doing their whole discography and i took like six pages of notes there's like a handful of songs that i'm like yeah you know there's like two songs on every record that i'm like yeah i might actually listen to that again that's that journalism kicking in (laughs) (laughs) i can't tell you how many times i called Kay hanley or texted Kay hanley at like 10 o'clock at night for the josie book because she's yeah, you know, she was the voice oh, of Josie. Yeah, that's right. And I probably called slash bugged her about forty times over the course of six months. And it's just because I always have some dumb little question. And like the three people <laughs> who would always answer were Kay and the directors. Dude, I love Kay Hanley. So so good. I I forgot that about Josie to Pussycats. But the thing I was gonna say about this song about Kiss Me was that it reminds me of like sitting in a doctor's office <laughs> it's not like a really it's not a terrible song but also it's kind of like i think i've heard matt say this before it's like wallpaper this song's on i'm not necessarily going to leave it on on the radio but there is something about it about the sound of this song that makes me feel a little bit nostalgic and so what year was this song what year was she's all that in this song she's all that was 99 this song was 97 yeah i was gonna say this was one of those weird ones where the song was almost two years old before it really started to to take off for the band this song was not blowing up on the merit of the song honestly like i think it's a good song but it was it was rachel lee cook walking down a staircase to this song that like sold Mm this song all the way to number two on the billboard charts. I think it's a genuinely pretty song. Like I, I think that there's some nice little instrumentation in it. We haven't done a lot of like hardcore lyrical breakdowns on this show, unless it's kind of been Mm. like jokingly breaking down the lyrics, but like, 
I think that this reminds me not to the same level, but like reminds me of when we were talking about Duncan Sheik when I was like writing down the lyrics for this. I'm like, this is kind of a poetic, like, you know, kiss me out on the bearded barley. Like that's like not a normal song lyric. (laughs) What is bearded barley? Let me check. (laughs) I mean, I I kind of just assume that it's like got the fuzz at the bottom from being untended. It says bearded barley is a wheat-like plant, which is often overgrown and ready for harvest. All right. Nightly beside the green, green grass. Swing, swing, swing the spinning step. You wear those shoes and I will wear that dress. I mean, it definitely paints a picture. It's a pretty nice picture. It's got kind of the lo-fi dancing in the moonlight kind of thing of like you can kind of see where they're placing these characters i think that that's what i do like about the song the the imagery like the i think the second verse is a little bit better in that sense of like the the kiss me down by the broken tree house like you can imagine the broken tree house swing me upon its hanging tire bring 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 the flowered hat we'll take the trail marked on your father's map like remember when we did say la vie and we were like all right we have to imagine like this these are 20 year old girls but they're singing from like the perspective of like a child (laughs) singing this song. Like, I think that I'm imagining, you know, at this point they've been a band for a couple years. That wasn't like this was their first album or anything. They're probably in their like mid twenties, but they're probably invoking Mm -hmm. like that feeling of the first kiss when you're a teenager. And it's like, you remember every little detail of that first kiss. So like the Mm -hmm. things like the broken tree house with its tire swing, like I feel like that's that stuff that you would remember If, if your first kiss was like, in someone's backyard by a garden and there was a tree house and stuff like that is the stuff that you would tell people when you're remembering it. I'd be making it up. I wasn't kissing anybody as a teenager. I was so pain. <laughs> I was so painfully shy, which, you know, I don't feel like I'm necessarily that anymore. It depends on, depends on the company, like who I'm with or whatever, but any memory I would have of kissing uh, beneath the milky twilight or out on the moonlit floor or while the fireflies are dancing, that would be completely fabricated. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was playing street hockey <laughs> and, and listening to propaganda. That's probably what I was doing. I want to but, rewrite uh, this song, but it's called Street Hockey. <laughs> it's like <yeah>. hockey <laughs> down by the bearded barley. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had going on. Were you were you guys were you guys kissing ladies at this yeah, time? Yeah, the youth group told me I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> Russ, please tell me you were kissing ladies at this time or, or, or no. we're all very sad. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was one of those like serial monogamous. It's like every year of high school, I had a different girlfriend that lasted the whole year. So you were getting plenty of kisses. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Russ was doing some serious smooching back then. <laughs> but again, fairly chased because I would then go at the end of the, the school year and, and counsel at a Christian summer camp. I, I waited till my 20s and I got plenty of smooching in, but... As a teen, not so much. Any of my nostalgia for this song is kind of just for that era. So now, I okay, so you said this song was popular in 1999. So yeah, that makes sense to me of what I would, I don't even know exactly what. It kind of takes me back to that time when I hear this. And a question that I had for you guys is when you're nostalgic for something, when that thing that you're nostalgic for was happening you don't realize that later you're going to be nostalgic for it. Probably 99.9% of the time, unless you're really aware. And I thought, what right now should we really be paying attention to so that we can feel the future nostalgia? Right now is a very tough time to say, because right now we're still (laughs) mostly trapped inside of our houses. But, you know, when you 
you know, I've been blessed to go to a couple concerts because Punchline played a few shows and needed someone to help with the merch table. When you guys did the show in Lancaster with like Piebald, like for me, how important that band was for me in college and never getting to see them live. And like, that was one of those moments where I did remember being at the table, watching like my friend's band play a show. And then they were going to be followed up by a band that I've loved for 20 something years and being like, this is a good one. Like, this is a one that I'm going to look back on 20 years from now and still be like, man, what a night. Wow. Like, that was a good night. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. That, that's a good answer. Russ, do you have anything? I'm skewed because I'm I'm like an old soul relative to you guys. So I have kids and shit. So that really ske- like I, there's always something going on with the kids that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to remember this. You know, true. In terms of like the day to day and pop culture stuff. I've been a like a giant nerd since I was a kid. And I, my day job is that I'm a staff writer for comicbook.com. And so I think when I look back on this period of my life, it's going to be, Oh yeah, there was that time when there was a new comic book movie or TV show every 15 seconds for like four years solid. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be a time when that isn't the thing? I feel like that's like permanent now. My only thing about that is that the most watched, as far as I could tell, digging through old numbers and stuff, the most watched show of all time was The Muppet Show at its height. Because it was one of the first really? big international shows, it had these massive global audiences of like 800 million people. Fast forward 10 years, and nobody knows what the hell to do with The Muppets to make them interesting. I agree that they're always going to be there. The only reason I use The Muppet comparison is I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's going to be evergreen that it's just everything we talk about is comic book stuff, and this is every blockbuster that hits has to be tied to it like i think that's got an expiration date i don't think the actual like genre does so you're gonna be nostalgic for this golden age of making every marvel comic book even the obscure ones into either a show or a movie and i get that matt what what's your what's your what are you gonna be nostalgic for the piebald show seeing my seeing my buddy play a show okay I think that maybe I I might be nostalgic for this era, this very strange era that we are currently living through. Who knows how much longer it's going to go on of making podcasts. I plan to continue making podcasts, but this was really like made a lot of podcasts at this time. And I plan to keep doing that, but this is where that really grew and, and thrived and really had the, the, time to put into it and and get the ball rolling on that i'll be nostalgic for that i think the first summer summer of 2020 when it was really bad that i had a very small group of friends who we agreed like oh we're only gonna hang out with each other and it's only gonna be outside and then my buddy johnny would have us over to his pool and we just partied a lot (laughs) in the summer just with each other a, a small group of people i'll be nostalgic for that i think i already am nostalgic for that but I, I don't know, like, necessi- what was going on in 1999? I mean, so this song came out in 1999 in the thick of Limp Biscuit. So so the- I want to I step away from the music era for this one. because, And the only reason I'm saying that is because I do, as much as I like this song, and you're right, this song has endured, I think that this song is popular because of its association with She's All That. So I think it's almost worth looking at what was happening in pop culture and film at this time for what people were nostalgic at. Because when I think of 1999, 
Like that is me getting into teen flicks for the first time. That's me going to a theater and seeing Can't Hardly Wait and being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever watched in my entire life. Having a friend rent American Pie because like we couldn't go see it in the theaters and like watching that in a basement at a sleepover and like all of that. Like, I think 1999 was a great time to be a 14, 15 year old kid coming of age. Like you're just like, there's so much great teen centric stuff happening. This is like, by the time this episode's out, the video is out too, but I've been deep diving into Daria for the last like three weeks trying to prepare for this big video that I'm doing. And like, this was prime Daria time on MTV. Like there was something in the water in 1999 that was great for teens at that time. And I think that if you were under 13 or over 18, it didn't connect with you. Like it wasn't made for you. It was just made for like this 13 to 18 age range to like really just love. There was also this weird moment in the zeitgeist where we were getting a bunch of these massive hit songs that came out of movies. Cause right around this time is when you had steal my sunshine come out of the go soundtrack. Smash mouth. All-star was on Shrek, but even before Shrek, it was on uh, mystery man, which was 99. And then for me, because I'm a giant nerd and kind of clueless, but I think a lot of people are, uh, I encountered the Pixies for the first time on the Fight Club soundtrack. And so I, I do feel like there's this weird synergy that was happening right around this time of like movies. This is the last like hurrah of soundtracks having any really meaningful impact until like Guardians of the Galaxy. And even that was all just retro. Also, you know, this song, <laughs> I didn't know why, why I didn't think of this, but it's so Gilmore Girls. Yes. <laughs> like, they, oh, yeah. this had to be used in Gilmore Girls, right? And I got to tell you guys, do you guys sleep with the TV on, fall asleep to TV? Yeah. My show that I fall asleep to every night is Gilmore Girls. I just put it on. I actually like the show. Like, I know it's weird for a full-grown man to really like Gilmore Girls, but I don't know. I just think it's, like, pretty good and, like, good-hearted or something. And, and this song... They had to have used this song on Gilmore Girls at some point, right? I just recently started watching Gilmore, well, watched Gilmore Girls maybe a year or two ago. I had posted a Facebook status, and I remember your response to it, and it made me laugh, but I was like, I had posted, like, Gilmore Girls would be a better show if it was called Stars Hollow, and you wrote back, the show should just be called Lane. <laughs> the The funny thing about Gilmore Girls is that, like, <laughs> that when you're a young when you're a young guy and you, if you watch Gilmore Girls, you might be like, damn, I like Rory. But then when, you know, when you're a middle-aged guy, you watch it like, damn, I like Lorelai. Yeah. Although Lorelai is pretty annoying. Actually, they're both pretty annoying. The Gilmore Girls are the worst part of the show Gilmore Girls. I've said that a few times and I stand by it. Yeah, that <laughs> seems to be the popular opinion about it. Yeah, Lane is Lane is way cooler than either of the Gilmore Girls. I, Sean's gun is the star of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> hey, six pence. <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back to pence, as I like oh, to call them. This is one of those bands... Uh, to kind of answer the the underlying question of the show. This is one of those bands where, because I listened to the whole catalog in a fairly short period of time, I can say they definitely got better as they went on. And I think a lot of that is Lee Nash. Like you listen to the first couple of records and it's like, she want desperately to be like early nineties, Fiona Apple, Tori Amos. It's like a lot of really breathy, super high notes. And like, it, it feels like she doesn't have any power behind her. Like she can't, you know, Gotcha. And I feel like two things happen when in the title, in the self-titled album, which is the one that this, that Kiss Me comes from, which is one, 
that she seems to have gotten a lot more comfortable with her voice. And so she's able to put a little bit more muscle into it. And two, mm-hmm. the songwriting starts really leaning into her voice because she's got kind of an odd, unique voice. And think of it like writing a song for somebody with a unique voice is not a one-to-one with just writing a good song. You could write a great song and it wouldn't work for this vocalist. Hey, that's a pretty good point. She does have a very unique voice and it's a, it is a very good voice. This is a very well-written song, regardless of me being kind of like, <laughs> almost like, I don't know if immune's the right, immune to it or whatever. If it's playing, it's kind of like, oh, that that's just background noise in my life or whatever. But it is pretty poetic lyrics. It's a well-structured song. She's got a really unique voice. It's like the perfect highlighting that the music stops and it's so kiss me. That's yeah. like so perfect. This song, when when they heard the mix back of this song, they had to be like, well, we got a hit song. I can't imagine they heard this back and didn't realize that. Yeah, you know? the, the LP this came off of, it also has a song called I Can't Catch You. And it opens with this really kind of, for them, very meaty guitar riff. It like it, it the the thing that it reminded me of is like Father of Mine. <laughs> and, All right. And so you had that, and you had Kiss Me, and then you had this song called Lines of the Earth, which feels like it should be used at the end of a very sad episode of an HBO show. I'm almost wondering if the whole record was designed with an eye towards manifesting exactly what happened with Kiss Me. It's like we're gonna write we're gonna All write right. a record, and it's gonna get played in some other place, and that's how we're gonna get out of our Christian rock bubble. That's pretty interesting. To think that they would go into the songwriting process being like, we got to get these songs placed. Yeah, these got to be these got to be on soundtracks. I mean, I almost can't fault them for that. Well, I mean, you know that that's that makes sense. That's also kind of why, like the the interesting thing of like growing up in the in the Christian world, and obviously, you know, I've been able to develop good friendships with like the dudes in Five Iron mm-hmm. Frenzy, and and you know, you know some of the bands I like, and there's. There's this push and pull with that industry where like I've heard the the fans, the hardcore church going fans don't ever want their Christian band to not be a Christian band. The Christian bands, most of the time, unless they're like killing it on that church scene where they're getting paid thousands of dollars to play at some like small church because they're like whatever worship band like the reliant mm-hmm. k's and the fire and frenzies of the world that band's entire career was like we want to go on the sky against racism tour like we want to tour with less than jake we want to tour with real big fish like these are our peers these are the people that push us creatively but the record label being like there's no money in that you're never going to blow up in that scene you've got to stay to your christian roots or you're like hardcore fans will walk away type thing. And there's that push and pull. The labels know that they can make a lot more money off of you. And and we kind of know that through some of your friends that were on Tooth and Nail. Like, there was more money if you were a Christian band on Tooth and Nail than there was. Exactly, yeah. Matt. <laughs> like, exactly. So, like, are you trying to make me feel sympathetic? No, I'm... For the, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm not talking shit if you want to put your stuff out on christian labels do the christian festivals do whatever that's fine but you know what you're getting into but i think the problem is and this is like what we saw with like mxpx what we saw with slick shoes kind of what we saw with five iron frenzy a lot of these bands when they start it they're like 18 19 years old you know what i mean where they're like when you're a teen and you're a christian you are all fucking in because you have not traveled or left your hometown or met anybody that has a different belief structure than you and then you get into a band you go on a tour and you you know like when we had leonore on she talked about like 
going to these other countries, these poor countries and like helping them and how like much that changed her as a person. Like, sure. so I think That's awesome. you, you experience this stuff and then you're like tied into this label that won't let you like grow in that sense. I, I guess I'm the one who brought it up that this band was a Christian band, kind of joking to be just so I could go, okay, Matt, tell us about <laughs> them. <laughs> but just because you know, all, you know, all this shit, but like, I never, until doing the research for this, I didn't know this was a Christian yeah. band. This was just the Ki- the Kiss Me song, but I didn't know that they were like, oh, Sixpence on a Richer. Yeah, they're that real popular Christian band. Oh, I can't believe they crossed over. No, this song just came out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess if I paid more attention, I might have noticed because they, they got the Grammy, for, uh, either a Grammy or the nomination that year for Best go- Gospel Record. That's the only place I would have seen it. <laughs> like, I had no clue until I started doing this too. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. What's up everybody. This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. They have this and they have the couple of covers they did. And then there's one more song, Breathe Your Name. I had no idea it was them. I remember it being on the radio all the time. It's musically more complex than anything that they had there, had in the 97 record. 
And so again, like I, I it kind of fits my my thing of like this band seems to have grown up over the course of their career in a way that I think is interesting. And I think if you like Kiss Me, then you're gonna really dig their later stuff. But I had no clue whatsoever that it was them. It was just another like song that was on the radio with kind of a pretty vocal and I didn't think about. I can't believe this band did There She Goes. <laughs> like <laughs> why? Why did they need to do it? And why did they need to do it exactly like the original? What was the point of that? Same question could be asked about their cover of Don't Dream It's Over. They didn't do anything really different with that cover either. I mean, at least with that one, it's a female voice singing it. But there she goes. Didn't someone else cover There She Goes? Like, I think there was like another band like Sixpence, None the Richer, that also did There She Goes, like more recently than the original. Yeah, I think you're right. I can't put my finger on it but i think you're right this is a very upbeat poppy light fluffy kind of band and as i'm listening to uh the 2002 record i'm like oh there's a 9-11 song oh wow it, it's very much it, it wasn't like the rising kind of 9-11 song it was more a like i'm so sad this is terrible look at all those people who died and i'm like you're you're the kiss me people yeah that's heavy for kiss me people in 2020 lee did a a solo single uh and i can't remember who it was a collaboration with but it was a uh a song that addressed the kind of moment of the post uh george floyd rioting and protests and everything and so i i get the impression that she wants to dip her toes into other quote-unquote smarter things and that sixpence is just not really the venue to do it with yeah that makes sense i mean people want what whatever yeah light rock love songs from sixpence yeah i never really knew what adult contemporary was until i was listening to some of those songs and i'm like yeah this kind of flirts with that yeah light light rock I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't I don't know. The last studio record they did, Divine Discontent, has like four songs, the first four songs, and they're just all instrumentation wise, completely different. It's like if if you didn't have her voice pulling it together, they would be like entirely different like genres. There's like, oh, here's like a folk rock thing, and then you got this one with like the guitar that sounds like a buzzsaw opening it up, and then you go to a piano solo over a ballad, and it's just like what is this record? Then maybe they should have stayed in their lane yeah. a little bit. Then maybe they would have got more success than being confused about what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious what to do. That makes sense of why maybe they didn't have more hits. Yeah. If that's the case. And I, I will say it's it's tough because like even the stuff that's in their lane, like there was a the the record before the self-titled records, the one they had in like 95, the first track opens up and it's like She's got the airy, halting vocals, and then they have, like, deep, like, Les Paul guitar tones. And I'm like, this just sounds like something the Spin Doctors would have recorded right at that same time. (laughs) Right. Once they found that formula with this song, maybe that's where they should have been. But so Sixpence is still a band, I guess, kind Uh, of, right? Yeah, I think they're, like, one of those groups where it's like, we're not recording anything, but every couple of years we'll just go do a concert. That's cool. And, I mean, they've definitely had... a at least somewhat of an impact considering Taylor Swift claims kiss me was the first song that she ever learned on guitar when she was 12 years old. It was in recent years featured in Netflix series. You, which did you guys watch you by any chance? I cannot like that show. I've tried, I've watched every season and it is so bad. Like I haven't watched the newest season, season three. I watched the first two seasons and I remember always being like, 
this is so bad. But then watching the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. And also it's been covered by Avril Lavigne. Um, you know, so it's definitely had its impact. If you're doing a parody of a teen flick, this song is oh, going yeah. to be in it. Like, like it will make its way in there. Obviously not another teen movie did it very literally, but like even like teen flick homages over the last decade have found ways to fit kiss me somewhere into that movie soundtrack. What are some, there has to be a few other ones that what are, what are some of the other teen flick staples? So I think that's been all the different versions of this song, honestly, but like, I feel like I've heard can't get enough of you baby in multiple teen flicks, mm. but like different versions of it. Like not yeah. just always the smash mouth one. Yeah. And what was the thing that Kay did in 10 things I hate about you? I feel like that's another old reliable. I want you to want me. Honestly. I mean, I know that it appeared in the movies multiple times. Like it appeared in every one of those movies, but the song laid by James, like is the anthem of the, of the American pie movies. And I feel like I've heard that bleed into a, a few other teen flicks. The, this bed is on fire with passionate um, love. Perform the whole song. Yeah, let me get my quick. guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I feel like there's more songs that are like, kiss me. But oh, yeah. I can't think of what they are off the top of my head. But oh, oh, how about uh, the Muffs version of Kids yes. in America? I, yeah. I honestly, Russ, I'm very excited to read your Josie and the Pussycats book because I just finished reading As If, the oral history of the making of Clueless, yeah. and it feels like I should just roll straight into the Josie and the Pussycats oral history next. Like, is this your favorite movie ever? What What made you decide to do this? What was What was it about this movie? Well, there's a there's a handful of things. Uh, I, I started doing a movie podcast a few years back and we would pair like a, a newer movie with an older movie because uh, we used to all work at a video store and that's how you hand sell things. It's like the, you pay for the new release, you get an older one free. The first episode we did Star Wars, The Force Awakens and Josie. And I was like, man, I forgot <laughs> how good this movie was. I started realizing that it had developed this like cult classic kind of status because of course it was a box office bomb when it came out and it like tanked Harry and Deb's careers. Like they haven't done another feature film since 2001. The reporter in me was like, there's like a story here. Like this movie full of a bunch of famous people that bombed at the time. And now like everybody loves it 20 years later for all the same reasons that nobody liked it back then. Like all of the, the ways that it critiques capitalism and the music industry are things that at the time were considered kind of a liability. And now that's what people love about it. I remember it being exactly what I thought it was going to be for the most part. I didn't go into it thinking it was going to be like, you know, <laughs> best picture or anything, but I remember liking it. Man, it's been a long time. Is it on anything right now? Uh, I, I, I kind of want to watch went it. To Peacock. Peacock. Well, you're going to sign up for that so you can watch the Bel Air reboot. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt. And I know people have already done it, but bringing this back around to Sixpence on the Richer, who would do a great cover? Who would do the best cover of Kiss Me? So I'm thinking about, here. here's the thing that I'm thinking right now. So this might be, at the time that we're recording this, literally this morning, Krista Makes released an episode about And We Dance with the Hooters. And there was this whole conversation at the beginning about the mandolin. And I'm like, who could rock a mandolin like I, I think that this song needs a nice mandolin in it for some reason so that's where my mind is right now is like thinking of mandolin artists call me crazy on this 
I think that Counting Crows could do a really strange version of Kiss Me that I would kind of be into. Hmm. Interesting. But he would change every melody. Yep. <laughs> every me- and he would he would go off on tangents like just kiss me I, out on the bearded barley, out by the lake, down by the sea. I like that he changes all the words. I think it's funny. No one can sing along. It's to me, I think it's funny and entertaining, but yeah, it does piss a lot of people off. Bob Dylan has the same. But I like your choice. Part of me, honestly, is kind of like just Charlie Bliss. Yeah. They've got the they've got a similar enough energy in terms of the very high voice and the but I do think that something if you're gonna cover this, I wanna see it being transformative. And I think because they are so much heavier than Sixpence that it would be something where vocally it might be pretty similar, but the the song itself mm-hmm. would feel very beefed up. That's a good call. I think I want to hear the Nine Inch Nails version of this song. <laughs> I mean, which would be, obviously, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah. that's where we would get fuck me, finally. Did Sixpence, None the Richer, bring the one-hit thunder, or are they a one-hit blunder? This is a tough one. I'm going to let you start, Russ. Did they bring the thunder, or was this a blunder? There's there's two things here. First of all, uh, as I've been listening to this song, I want, I, I want there to be a, a category for one hit like own eaters i think that this band got exactly (laughs) what they deserved in a lot of ways like i do like i if i had to to say it i'd say thunder and partly just because you have this and then you have and i've already forgotten the name of the the song that i forgot was them something about breathing yeah yeah Yeah. And, and it's just like that's that's kind of almost two one hit wonders rolled into the same band. And, and because I saw them kind of grow up as I'm listening to it, I'm like, yeah, I'll give it to them. Cause like they clearly put in the work, you know, they've, they've had a handful of solid little pop songs. It's certainly nothing spectacular. And I feel like the level of success that they reached is pretty much exactly what their catalog justifies. Okay. But you're still going with thunder for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like I said, Matt, it's a solid little pop song, Matt, what do you think? I'll give them the thunder. I, I find this song very soothing. I, I, am along with you baffled to, as to why they covered there she goes but at the same time like i do think i like her kind of soft whispery vocals more than like the the kind of like garage band throwback sound of the laws version a little bit more like i think that their version is if i'm going to listen to there she goes i'm probably going to put on the sixpence version over the laws wow all right but yeah i'll, I'll but a very soft thunder this isn't yeah. like i'm running out to buy their back catalog cuz i've fucked up so badly not listening to sixpence on the richer <laughs> yeah. like i'm content with with what i know by them this song i think it's a well crafted song i think she has a cool voice i think it's very poetic lyrics that being said I never want to listen to this song <laughs> when it's on. I'd rather it not be on. I'd rather see what else, what other options there are. I, every other song I heard by them, I'm like, yeah, this, this is okay. But th- I don't think in any world would I consider them thunder. I think to me, sixpence is a little bit of a blunder. Hate to say it, hate to say it, but it's two thunders to one blunder. So they get the thunder pass. Russ, I got to thank you for coming on. Uh, tell us about the book and where we can get it, please. Book, you can get at all the places you usually get books in terms of uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Uh, I sell copies through josiebook.com where uh, everyone, like I sign it and I throw in some other little like stickers and bookmarks and all that kind of crap just because I, I have 
all of this stuff. I crowdfunded a portion of the book because it cost thousands of dollars to transcribe all those interviews. Um, so I have a lot of stuff yeah. left over. It's finding exactly the audience I thought it would find. It's one of those, it's like never going to be a bestseller, but everybody who I've talked to who's read it is like super into it. And and I've got a second thing coming out this month, which is just a collection of old columns. So if you're a big fan of Booster Gold, that's for you. <laughs> As a kid, I liked comic books. As an adult, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm a comic book guy anymore, but for mm. some reason, I've still been trying to figure it out. When I was a kid, loved the Silver Surfer. It was that and like random like now comics. Yeah. And when I try to talk to people, when I try to talk to people about Ralph Snart, no huh. one ever knows what I'm talking about. Please, please tell me you know what that is. Yes, I know the name. I know of it. I don't know like... I, you you couldn't quiz me on a single thing, but I know what you're talking about. It was made by Now Comics, who also made like the Fright Night comics and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, Now, now that was most of their line was like weird licensed stuff. They did uh, real Ghostbusters comics. They did a movie yeah. adaptation of Free Jack. You remember the movie with Mick Jagger? <laughs> no, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's the comic is terrible. The movie is terrible, but like Mick Jagger. <laughs> Dude, this Ralph Snart comic. Yeah, look it up. It was this real weird looking, like the way it was drawn was like, you know, almost like Ren and Stimpy or something where everyone was like all weird and lumpy. And mm -hmm. Ralph Snart got his like, whatever you want to call it, like superpower when he got real drunk. He was like this weird looking little guy. And yeah. it was like very inappropriate. And I think that's why I liked it. Silver Surfer and Ralph Snart, that was my shit. Anyway, man, <laughs> I won't bore you with my love of Ralph Snart. Thanks for coming on. Everybody should go out and get the book and maybe maybe put on Kiss Me in the background while you're checking it out. That's, <laughs> that's an idea. <laughs> I, I, I would have to read it again to be sure, but I, I, I almost guarantee that this song was at least referenced in passing in the book because how could it not have Hell been? Hell yeah. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Castaway off the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for information on future shows, releases, and merchandise. We're on Patreon now, so visit us at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast for bonus material, early access to episodes, and a chance to help decide what shows we discuss on future episodes. Do you want to hear your song on the show or have any interest in sponsoring an episode? Contact me at matt at geekscape.net for our rates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week with another episode of... One hit
Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.